What is happening? Welcome to Modern Day Marketer. I am your host, Brett McGrath. I lead marketing at The Juice. Today, we are joined by Jeff Coyle, Chief Strategy Officer and Co-Founder at MarketMuse. Topic, predicting the ROI of your content program. I know that is a hot button topic that we are digging into at The Juice. And by the way, if you want to learn more about what we're building and the ROI of it all, Join us for our first ever Product Roadmap Live with Chris Vinoy, who leads our product and engineering team, and also Ali Swanky from SimpleStrat, founder. She's going to be the customer voice. We're going to dig into some of what we're working on and some of what is ahead. We'll put that link in the show notes. We'd love to have you. Tell your friends you're enjoying this podcast, by the way. We do appreciate that, but without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. This is my first recording of 2023. Excited about this conversation. We're going to be talking about predicting the ROI of your content program. I'm with Jeff Coyle. He's the co-founder and chief strategy officer at Market Muse. We got a chance before we even hit record to talk music. We are... I don't know. I would say it, maybe a little older than most people in tech, maybe a little bit. So it's nice to be able to connect with someone around a passion. And we're, we're also in content, but yeah, we, it was fun to catch up, talk a little music. But today we're going to be talking about content. Jeff, Happy New Year. Welcome. How you doing, man? I am great. Um, new year. Like you mentioned, this is my first recording of the year. Um, I did have, I've had many a call uh, so far, uh, warming up the, uh, warming up those call sheets but no this is my first recording of the year too and it's it's, it's very fun I, i'm looking forward to talking about content content strategy syndication roi all that fun stuff maybe a good place to start would be just uh i'd love to maybe for the the audience to understand like you have had quite the background in content through different companies maybe talk a little bit about that experience just what you've seen in content over the years don't want to don't want to age you too much but just go through a little bit about just like what you've seen just over the you know last several years yes uh, content I, I like you know the, the fine wine of content syndication now the uh no, so I, I was I went to Georgia Tech for school in the late 90s uh, got out in 01 but when I was in, in 99 2000. I was designing like intranet search engines and building ad servers like before they existed really. Um, and I got a internship with a company called Knowledge Storm. Um, and that was my business that I worked with after I graduated and through to 2007. And what Knowledge Storm did was we sold leads to software companies um, by syndicating content. So we had a bunch of libraries of, of you know directories of white papers we were the white paper, you know, square that you saw on every major publication. You know, you're reading Information Week. Hey, here's some relevant white papers. We powered that, for example. And so we were generating tens of thousands of leads a day, right, at our peak. And I was in charge of generating all the traffic that got those leads and building some of those products and the admin and the relevant scores. And we had a search engine embedded, which, which white papers do you show, all that fun stuff. So basically a search engine driven distribution driven ad server we were purchased by tech target in 2007 who you're all probably very familiar with and they also owned bitpipe and made that purchase so bitpipe and knowledge storm were two of the first content syndication products and and and, and platforms um tech target is just a you know superstar network for editorial 
right? And they had the background of email. And now they're really using their data to become kind of a juggernaut and they have for the last you know five or six years. And the, the big thing with me was I was managing their in-house team, uh, search engine optimization, paid, um, building a number of products that relate to user-generated content and social. And when I left there, um, you know, I took Build Market Muse. I actually went to a private equity firm for a little bit and then decided to kind of take the entrepreneur path and uh, create with my co-founder. He was the original co-founder. I was like the first person in to kind of take it to market. The reason why was because I got to deal with all the, the, the transition, frankly. It was knowledge storm. We didn't have any content of our own. But Tech Target had, you know, hundreds of amazing writers and editorial, you know, superstars. So I was the, you know, SEO guy going, hey, can you go write about this article? And they're like, no. And then had to go back and say, well, here's the reason why you should write this article. Maybe. And then finally getting to the point where I was delivering, you know, the why in such a way that it was influential um, and going through that process. Hard knocks, by the way, punches to, to the to the extremities, punches to the face, right? What do you know about search storage? We ran search storage, search security, you know, and I take, I, you know, I, I take that tongue in cheek now, but what that gave me was the insight into the way that great editors write, the way that great writers think um, so that I could build a software platform that appealed to both search engine optimization professionals, but also subject matter experts and editorial leadership which is the missing piece. By the way, still the missing piece now. Go use any, you know, pick your favorite enterprise SEO platform. Go talk to your editor. How many times do they want to log into that thing? None of them, right? How many times do your content syndication demand gen people want to use this SEO platform? None. They don't want to use those, but they do want to use marketing years. Um, and I, I, I appreciate that. That's the reason why is because I got beat up so much by those amazing editors. I, I love that. And uh, that is uh, just someone who's been on just the demand side, someone who's been on the content side. I can totally uh, relate to that sentiment. And I, I don't know, it seems like maybe it's uh, end of last year, there was a lot of in B2B marketing, doom and gloom. There was a lot of uh, the sky is falling, you know, budgets getting cut, people exiting. And it just seems like through a lot of conversations I've had, it seems like a lot of marketers are fearful that uh, you know, the higher ups are going after like the easiest things that we can't directly find ROI from. And one of those things is, is content. So I know that's kind of the basis of this conversation, but I don't know, like, what would you say just to any of those marketers out there, just right out of the top who might be in the position at their companies right now, where their leadership is saying like, Hey, like, what are you doing over here? And they don't quite understand the value of the day-to-day content marketer that is producing, that is, you know, distributing through social, that is writing the newsletter, all those things. Well, I'm a storyteller. Matthew Dix, one of my heroes. I'll give you that. I I sometimes use a lot of analogies too. Um, So I'm going to tell you two stories with that answer. The first one's just basically like legit. This is how it often happens, right? You often have a demand gen team who when the bullets are firing, they're pointing at top of funnel and they're going, they're doing stuff that's not generating leads, right? Then you get the top of the funnel, like, no, 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 you need to cover the entire buyer journey, right? Then you get paid like, hey, I have direct ROI for my stuff. I buy traffic, some of it turns into leads, some of it turns into sales, right? So you get all these channels who are fighting with one another, 
they'll, they'll say things that, you know, a real content strategist, and sorry if you believe this and you're listening, but you got to, you know, rethink. I am, I'm in change management a lot, right? You got to be thinking, this is a portfolio. This is an entire team. You don't control the buyer journey, right? You know, if you ever looked at like the Gartner for Marketers subway map, right? Uh, or the, you know, the, the, here's the real decision model. You don't control that. All right. It, I love, I love B2B marketers who say they don't want to put comparison phase or middle of the funnel on their site. And I'm like, okay, you'd rather them read about it on G2 crowd. You'd rather them read about it from your competitors. You don't want to control that. You, oh, we don't want to put pricing information on our site. Okay. Well, they're going to find it somewhere else. Uh, you know, they're going to find that, right? They're not dying to talk to you on the phone and find that stuff. Um, they're going to try to figure out at least arranging arranging motion or what things to consider in that motion. So when I hear about budgets getting cut and you know arrows being pointed, yeah, the reality is money is going to get taken away if budgets are going down. But thinking about all of those things as contributing to this team is critical, um, and not requiring direct outcomes. Because uh, it flies in the face of the same thing that those people are, are typically evangelizing internally, which is nurture cycles, which is, you know, we can't expect to email you once and you buy a $30,000 software product. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's not very feasible. You've got to go from like solution unaware, problem unaware to problem, solution unaware, problem aware. Then you're going to problem aware, solution aware. Then you're going to middle of the funnel consideration purchase. And then a lot of times the marketing team gets no budget post-purchase, post-purchase troubleshooting implementation. Okay. So then there's, then the people get stolen. What's the content your customers want? What's the content your customers want so they can be better customers so that they become referrals and champions, right? You start cutting, make sure you know what you're cutting is critical. And if your demand gen people are telling you not to write definitions on your website, that's when you got to get them to call me. That's the kind of stuff that's just, you know, poison, poison in the well. I mean, and then I'll, now I'll use my sports equation. What's your favorite sport, Brett? Football. Football. Okay, cool. So let's shoot the O-line. <laughs> that's basically that's basically the uh, equivalent. That's the equivalent, right? I'm a Colts fan, so it's, it, it felt like we've shot our O-line this year, and I've been watching the offense trying to operate without one, and it's not ve- it's not a very fun thing to watch. I mean, that's, or let's, you know, the, the, the kicker only got, you know, the kicker gets a lot of points. Kicker is the PPC. I, I have so many analogies. <laughs> they, they, if you look at the points, right, if you're a fantasy football person, you look at the points, the kicker usually gets the most actual points. So they're the one, you know, you know what, you're not going to draft a kicker in the first round. And you ain't buying a kicker in the first round of the real draft, right? Sorry, I'll, I'll drag back into the, off of the, the metaphors, but it's not just about the points they put on the board in their contribution to the team. Um, and that's where a lot of times content, you know, who can act as the infrastructure for everything else to work if it's done right, right? I compare them a lot of times to that, you know, to that O-line or that D-line um, or, you know, fullback. I think that makes a lot of sense and it resonates with me. Um, I think one of the ch- most challenging things that we all have 
experienced as marketers, and you touched on this in kind of what you were saying in your opening remarks, but it's this idea, and I'm fortunate at the juice that I work around marketers who understand marketing and we're a marketing business. So there's less of these battles and less time spent trying to prove out kind of the work that I'm doing, but it's this, you do this thing, whether it's you do this virtual event, you do this podcast, you do this newsletter, you write this blog post, and it's immediately from the people around you, it's what did we get from this? Like, what did we get right now from this? And like you mentioned, it's just not how it all works. It takes, especially in B2B, it takes a lot of different follow-ups. It takes a lot of different time. And so I think because there's not direct results or direct response from the marketing activities, we get the question, what is the ROI of our content program? And they want that apples to apples spreadsheet of we did X and here's the Y output. Uh, And I think a lot of marketers are facing that right now. So like marketers who are getting that question, what's the ROI of our content program from higher ups? Like, how do you manage that conversation? How would you coach them to respond to that? The, The question to that question is, and it's not a question for you, it's rhetorical. It's who's asking that question internally? Because if that is being asked by the CMO, okay, we've got to cringe, bite our teeth, and maybe start looking for another job, right? Um, If that question is being asked by the head of sales, the head of technology, the CEO who maybe doesn't have a marketing background or anyone else, right? That's cool. It's okay for them to ask that question. You have to be empathetic. That's not their sweet spot, right? Because... The question then becomes, are you building, and, and I, you know, I'll, I'll drag back to 2004 when I came up with an idea for the company level lead, right? This was saying like, hey, leads aren't about the individual. It's about this is all accumulating somewhat like a dossier to inform on a company who may be part of the buying process at some time. Right. So all the stuff they do, imagine you had access to all of the stuff they did, that they went to G2, that they went to the red articles on the Mm -hmm. juice. They searched these queries in Google. They did all this other stuff. And you could see that not just for the individual, but for the entire team. And all of that data influenced their velocity uh, in that purchase process, also their location in that purchase process. Um, maybe you had even information about other competitors. Imagine you could really have all that data, right? That's the mindset that you need to deliver to the team that may not be in that CMO role, that may not be in the marketing role and say, hey, we have incomplete information with all the things that we know, but we try to know as much as we have, as much as we can. So Keith, I'm making up Keith. Keith works for Yuck Yuck agency, right? And they have known about the juice for seven years. Now, this is obviously false. You haven't been around seven years. They've known about the juice for seven years, right? Um, 16 people from their organization have been on our site, right? But recently, they've been reading more content. And they actually, two of them visited the product page, right? Cool. Then they clicked on a PPC campaign when somebody on their team clicked on the juice, and then they bought something. Tell that story and everybody will get it. Because guess what? In most organizations, the paid team gets gets credit for that lead. And, you know, four-letter word against that. They deserve credit. They do not deserve all the credit. 
And that's the reality of most, unfortunately, attribution shy or attribution weak organizations. But when you tell those types of stories where, you know, maybe, and then you might even say like, where are we buying our brand? You know, those types of things, you know, you get in all these like, it, it, it does not compute, does not compute because they don't realize you're building a dossier for the company and you're building a dossier for the customer. Um, you're buying, you'll, you're potentially, you want to identify if you're a team sale, right? Are the people who are re- consuming all of your content end users, but not decision makers? Okay, well, maybe you're short on content for the decision makers. Maybe you're not, you know, doing the job of making end users into champions so that they can appeal to the decision maker too. Um, a lot of B2B tech, a lot of B2B tech focuses way too much on end user marketing and not uh, uh, buyer marketing. What if like you appeal to uh, end users of the product, but you go back through your CRM and you're like, oh crap, every time we get into these situations, the CFO has to agree to this. Okay. Well, do we have anything that appeals to the way that CFOs think? No, we're talking about UX and user optimization or something like that. Okay. Does a CFO ever going to care about UX and user optimization? I mean, no, I mean, you know, uh, and, and, and so you get into these types of, uh, these scenarios where you start to question your marketing groups, the key being all you're trying to communicate to the rest of these teams who are attacking budgets is it's not about this action right now. It's about our first experience with this company and how they got to this experience. And that journey is hard. It's confusing. It's complex. It's expensive. That's how we calculate our true CAC, customer acquisition costs. And if you're just calculating your CAC on the end user attribute, you're lying to yourself. I love it. And I so um, so much you said there is helpful. And I think uh, what I hear kind of like a punchline is revisit the way you tell stories internally and sell what you're doing in marketing internally to the people around you, because chances are there's a lot that you're doing and a lot that you're responsible for. You're just not digging into the data and sharing it with uh, the rest of the team. Um, so let's let's say like you go through that process that you recommended. Your CMO is like, hands off, go do your thing. I believe in what you're doing. Your CEO sales team now understands it a little bit better. Like the next step, I think we're always looking for more investment in marketing, whether it's uh, more people, uh, more paid campaigns, more resources, whatever it is. How then do we go take that next step when we're trying to get more investment into our content programs? Because we have a story now to tell where people believe it. Like, what's that next step in to try to secure more investment? You know, I think a big piece is there are there are repeatable playbooks for B2B SaaS that exist, right? So we have to, those, that's our meets minimum. And I can get into a few of those uh, from a content perspective. But it's also about, the research of performance KPIs. And this would be even outside of what MarketMuse focuses on because MarketMuse is focused on content efficiency and what we should be creating, what we should be updating, um, and then actually getting that done efficiently. Um, so w- one thing I like to talk about is um, you know content efficiency is how much content. It's great time to do this work, by the way, 2023, kicking off, go to your 2022. How much content did you create? How many content update motions did you execute? How many updates did you do? 
or optimizations or uh, how, what, however you want to call it. Even you should include your repurposing if you're doing repurposing. So how many of those things have you done? How many of those, when you did them, had a goal associated with them, a prediction, right? And then how many of those items achieved their goal? Whatever that goal was. So that's going to allow you to see, okay, we did 100 things and 10 of them were successful. Okay, we're 10% efficient. Great. That's not great, by the way. That's about the average, uh, which is sad because that means that our cost for content, we're lying to ourselves a lot, right? So if 10% of your content is successful and every item all in costs you about two grand, what's your cost per effective item? About 20 grand, right? Now, <laughs> choke on that a little bit and then realize that improving that hit or hit rate, improving that batting average, improving that, you know, and then getting better slugging percentages, another sports analogy, getting bigger wins when you actually get a hit, that has to be your priority, right? That's the key, right? And so then you get into those repeatable playbooks. The repeatable playbooks go into what topics do we care about as a B2B SaaS organization? right? Or B2B organization. What have we covered well? What subtopics, what specific pain points and things do we want to own? And what have we done so far? And it's not about one page, one word nonsense. I need early pre-awareness, awareness, consideration, purchase, post-purchase, troubleshooting, and champion development for every one of those topics and everything underneath them. So the gap analysis, don't only look at results, right? Don't only look at results for people that went through the page that you did build, your pillar page, right? Look at, say, where do we have coverage across the entire buyer journey for this concept that we know Mm. we need to own, right? Now, that prioritize that. That's your longevity. That's your longevity. I want to hit on something and I don't want to gloss over it because I think it's an important topic, but one of the things you talked about is just like repurposing. And I think just as as marketers, we're super ambitious people. We always want to create new, new, new. We want to publish, publish, distribute, distribute, and on to the next one, on to the next one. When I'm like, to be honest with you, Jeff, like I'm afraid to go look back at my, what was created last year because I, I, it'll get me into this rabbit hole of like being like, shit, I should be doing more with this stuff. And which actually is probably an exercise that I I should be doing. And I will probably do. Um, But like when we're talking about ROI and talking about the work that we've already done, but we're moving on to the next one, like what's the balance? Like, how do you strike a balance between maximizing the work you've done and kind of creating new? Well, juice and the squeeze, <laughs> right? I mean, that that that's good. The juice is worth the squeeze. Okay, you, you can steal that if you want. Um, but that uh, with repurposing, that's always it. Repurposing is the hardest thing to get started in, in as a practice, right? A lot of people will do trigger-based repurposing. If my thing fails, then I will try to, if my thing is very successful, I will do this. Um Okay, cool. Get started doing that. Basically set your goals on your content items, your meets minimum. If you get a failure, do X. If you have a success, do Y. That's a good way to get started with repurposing. You should always do something with a content item uh, or have a trigger event to do it uh, based on outcomes. Why? Why? Because if, if you invested a lot of money in something, 
right? And it fails, the long-term detriment to your overall marketing product and your overall marketing team is, is devastating. So it's a bet hedging scenario. Um, if I'm going to spend $5,000, $10,000 on a content item, like a super awesome, you know, well-researched subject matter expert, well-produced, um, and that only comes out. A lot of times you see this in B2B tech. Hey, I used to have abstracts and white papers. I'm the guy to ask about this. I've been doing this for 24 years, as scary as that sounds as we look down. If all that comes out of your ebook is a marketing campaign and one landing page that allows you to access that gated asset, you're broken, right? You've got to get more out of that. You've got to hedge your bet that that campaign doesn't work, right? I've taken a book, a 200-page book, and turned it into a 1,000-page website. Remember that example, 200-page book, 1,000-page website. I've taken a podcast network that had 500 episodes, right? And that 500 pages with show notes, right? And 50 x the traffic with basic repurposing and made it so that that person, this was their side job. Now it's their day job, right? Repurposing can be that powerful for your team. And those are real stories. I love it. Hopefully you're out there taking notes. I, I want to maybe get into some some things that marketers maybe should avoid just in terms of content and this ROI discussion. You provide an example there that is very easy for me to visualize of I create I I create piece of content, got a lot of people involved and spent a lot of money and then I've got the ebook and then I put up the landing page, put up the forum and launch my campaign and hope for the best. Like that's probably not going to work for you in 2023. So I think I I would just say Hey, let's avoid that, everybody. But is there anything else on just kind of that relates with that example or others that you would recommend people avoid with content moving into 2023? I'll give you the two-minute playbook for that. Why not? Real actionable insights. You can turn. Here's the key, though. I'll give you the real actionable insights. I'll fire down a six-point post. But now you have to repurpose that six-point post into Jeff and Brett's guide for optimizing your eBooks. And that's a separate page. It's the same concept. This is, a, this is becoming meta, little meta matrix here. So analyze that ebook that you spent all that time on. Take all the cuts that you made from it, all the stuff that didn't make the cutting room floor. Take all the stuff in the brief that didn't get covered actually in the final asset, right? Those need to become content items, right? Take, read that ebook, read that post. What are all the points the posts make? What are all the value that they bring? Can you add a paragraph or two and make that an entry point possibility, a short post, a short blog, right? Now, what can you do to create video, other assets, have a conversation with somebody where you both read it, have a conversation about it, turn that into another entry point to the asset, right? You can reverse that, reverse into that. So you're basically saying, what are all the ways that this thing could attract flies, to the flat paper. It could become a flat paper. Um, another angle there is one landing page, one asset, crazy talk, right? Um, the asset itself doesn't matter. You can position it for each industry that you focus on, for each person that possibly could want to look at this, right? Thinking about the uh, inverted content upgrade. Example, you are creating a basics of CRM white paper. Okay, well, what industries are you focused on? We're focused on breweries and we're focused on record companies. Okay. Well, you should have a landing page that talks about CRM for breweries, CRM for record companies. They shouldn't be the same page. They should not be the same funnel. 
and go into that so that during that sequence, they find that asset. And that asset still appeals to them because they know you've shown them, you know them with content. CRM for dummies, landing page, the basics, they may go there and go, what does this know about companies? He doesn't know me. Right. Those are your, those are your two do's. I love it. Uh, Giving everyone some homework. Maybe let's close it out with this. We've talked about ROI. We've talked about internal communication. We've talked about do's. We've talked about don'ts. I think one of the things that stands out to me about this is just like getting this message across of having the work that we're doing right now is not a short game. It's a long game. And so maybe like, I'd love for you to maybe close this out with like, one piece of advice to maybe, or it could be multiple pieces of advice, wherever you want to give us, but just setting expectations on the long-term impact of work, uh, the content work we're all doing and the ROI that's coming out on the other side. Yeah. I think uh, two rules, two rules of thumb that I would give to set off on 2023. It is 2023, right? <laughs> uh, the first one would be the earlier you focus on hit rate, and success rates in the the content process, the better. So if you're publishing, you have, if you have your editorial calendar already planned for the year or even the quarter, it probably means you're not doing this. So just it. it might be the reality of your organization. Okay, it might be tough, but do it as early as possible. Start getting, we need to get predictive before we even have an idea. We need to get predictive when the ideas come, we need to know this is going to work before we invest in the plan, in the goal. And be honest, if you're going to write something or if you're going to plan to write something, tag it, speculative, no prediction, no predictive data, no AI was used to predict whether this is successful, might be successful, might not. You know why? Because subject matter experts and editorial leadership are awesome. They're great. They have speculative ideas. If you can't validate that with data, document it. Maybe you've got an editor that just is magical and he has a hit rate, 25%, okay? And the rest of your team is punching 10%. It's great data, right? Okay, so, but make sure you document the why for every content item. That's my, for every content item or content plan, that's rule number one. Number two is if it looks too good to be true, it's very important for this year, especially with the advent of natural language generation, there's gonna be a lot of people telling you, you should trick the system. You should not trick the system. Shortcuts lead to, I can't say it on, on the uh, on the podcast. Shortcuts lead to blump a big blump. But <laughs> well, let's just say, uh, imagine fast moving Maserati in the in in the uh, the Hollywood Hills. Okay? You're a brand, you're a B2B business. You cannot cheat and win. At some point, it will unravel. Um, so be smart, implement official intelligence intelligently, right? Mm. Think critically about the output. If you're worried about, is this thing going to get caught? Is this plagiarism? Is this good? You're, you're playing the game completely wrong. You may have some short-term success, but the longevity is not going to be there. And this is from a person who built an NLG platform. I can tell you, don't cut corners, accelerate workflows, make everyone empowered, get your subject matter experts and your editorial leadership excited about this and you will win. Um, Again, you do not want the quarterback throwing every pass into the end zone, which is what right now is how people are thinking about 
some ad- advances in an industry, guess what? Ain't gonna work. I hear do the work, go do it smartly, but go do the work, get your hands dirty. I think this was a a fun conversation. I learned a ton. I'm sure everyone out there did too. Jeff, before we let you leave, Market Muse, I'm sure there's exciting things happening in the hopper that you all are working on. Maybe share with the audience something that excites you about the business moving into 2023 and where we can point people to. We have a, some really great um, releases coming in January. Um, we have a new search engine results page, X-Ray, that's going to be part of one of our products a uh, we've just you know revised our research and our competitive analysis to be like an instant cluster analysis on your site you we have a free version but what you really want to see if you're listening to this podcast if you're listening to this webinar what you really want to see is our market news premium offering it gives you a strategic on-demand content inventory so you can actually see how hard it's going to be for you to own a topic right calling back to what i said a little bit earlier how hard is it going to be for us to actually win this game? Mm. Uh, we're the only in-market solution that tells the story of your personalized level of difficulty to own something in organic search. So we can honestly say, hey, you know, you want to own CRM company who just started last year, going to be a big hill. You're going to have to climb it. And I, you know, I used to run search CRM.com. It's a big hill. It's going to be a big hill. But here are some maybe some more attainable things this year. And in CRM, let's start building the foundation. And two years from now, we might have a chance. You know, we're not talking about quick wins, but we can also talk about quick wins. Um, so we can actually find the stuff that if you created it or updated it right now, would have an instant win. Um, so being able to know what you can win on today and what you could, what you shouldn't, but be focused on the win allows you to tag your goals and say, hey, we're writing about CRM because we have to. This is foundation building. We're also going to pepper in some stuff that's going to win today. Um, that's the kind of outcomes that we drive. Uh, but go check it out, uh, marketmuse.com. If you want to um, link up with me, Jeff at marketmuse.com. I'm very active on Twitter, Jeffrey underscore coil or LinkedIn. Um, I'll set you up a custom demo. I'll build a custom inventory for you. If you uh, shoot me a note, I'm happy to. And, you know, I, I actually will do it. <laughs> I love this stuff. Big fan of what Market Muse is doing. Go check them out. Jeff, this was a ton of fun. Thanks for hopping on and sharing your knowledge. Hey, no problem, and uh, Happy New Year. Uh, I uh, wish nothing but the best for the juice. It's an amazing thing, and I know it's going to have a big year. Appreciate it, man. Take care. Had a ton of fun talking to Jeff about factors that we should consider when seeking ROI from our content, things we should avoid, and setting expectations internally. Hopefully, you got something out of this episode. You take care of yourself, take care of others around. Yeah, we'll be back more Modern Day Marketer next week.